Today, we examine the mystery of name withheld. The story of name withheld is perhaps the last great pre-internet mystery. What inspired this prominent comic book creator to write such a disgruntled letter, a scathing letter on the, 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 the views of the industry, on the practices of the industry, and then this person, this creator didn't sign the letter. And boy, oh boy, were fingers pointed and were suspects named. How did it all turn out? We discuss it on an all-new episode of Rob Observations. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Rob Observations is about the love, the joy, the appreciation, and the passion for comic books and comic book superheroes. Maybe, maybe you love comic book superheroes. Maybe you love comic books. Maybe you love comic book superhero movies. And that has been your thing for the last 15, 20 years. That is what you dig the most. Well, this is where we meet in the middle. Rob Observations uh, is where I bring my passion since I was seven years old, 1974, absolutely loving comic books. Can't get enough of comic books buying them off the shelves, the spinner racks, wherever they were, and they were everywhere when I was a kid. Couldn't escape them. They were in your department store. They were bagged as three packs on a on like a clothing hanger, a turning like hanger, which each of the different hangers had ten different uh you know plastic bagged packs, three comics each. There was a Marvel pack, a DC pack, sometimes an Archie pack. Comic books were my life. Comic books turned into my career uh between Deadpool and Cable and X-Force and Image Comics and Youngblood and Avengers and everything in between. I have been around in comics for five different decades. I mean, worked worked in the 80s, mid-80s, 90s, 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s, five decades. I bring that up. It makes me laugh because according to this article that I read this morning uh, about, about Google, in 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 Ad Week, I I got my latest edition of Ad Week, and I wanted to read uh, the the biz, Business Insider is is what I was forward. Excuse me, and it talks about Google, and and this this made me laugh out loud because because you sit there and you go, wait 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 a second, wait a second, uh, how how are are you calling Google dinosaurs? Because that's that's ridiculous. At 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 two decades and five years, twenty-five years, they're they're now they're they're they've been around the block. They're no longer the young hot kid. They, they've become dinosaurs. What what is that? Here is how the Business Insider put it: Chatter about Google's transition from vanguard to dinosaur. I mean, literally, they they called them a dinosaur in the header of this. At the top, it says uh, it 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 <laughs> it it uh, it, it says how Google has become. A dinosaur. And it's this chatter about Google's transition from Vanguard to dinosaur. It's hardly new. The company just turned 25, roughly two centuries in tech years. It has lived through five presidents and two major market crashes. Its boy wonder co-founders are now emeritus executives, and it's changed its corporate name from a word that telegraphed futurism and brain power to a word now most people learn by the age of three. Okay. Anything more than that is just 
useless here for our purposes. The bottom line is, I go 25 years, like, and that makes them a dinosaur. I don't ignore that in tech years, it's two centuries. Good God. What is, what is five decades in comics and, and 40 calendar years exactly? I mean, what, what, <laughs> what does that make me? And then, then take me all the way back to my fandom. Look, uh, then, then I am absolutely Jurassic in my love and my passion of comic books. It has carried me. Comic books make me happy. Uh, the actual comic books with the staples, the, the, the stuff with the words and the pictures, okay? The, the, the beautiful vistas, the double-page spreads, the, 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 the great shots that some film, filmmakers have gone out of their way to emulate in movies such as Spider-Man and X-Men and, and Infinity War and in Deadpool. Uh, it all begins with a great comic book. If, if, if you're sitting where I'm sitting and I've been sitting here for a very long time and I try and bring that passion to you with each and every episode as we merge the worlds as superheroes have become such a dominant uh, brand platform uh, across all medias. And, and this, this show launched almost, we are, we are marching towards our fourth year anniversary. We just had our 350th anniversary episodes. I, I am so thankful that you guys have taken uh, this ride with me. Today, we're going to talk about stories, stories that happen in the, in the world of comic books, the, the world of comic books that look, when, when Image Comics was formed, we shook the financial papers. Barron's, Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the LA Times, everybody, uh, the, the actual business, business uh, uh, sections of, of television, the, the, this was before there was dedicated business networks, but on CNN, on, on MSNBC, they, they, they had sections about the business of comics and how Image Comics impacted Marvel. Marvel's stock dropped because myself and six other artists left to pursue our own dreams, having, having believed that we had done all that we possibly could at Marvel and that there was um, greater kind of uh, opportunities, more, more, more rainbows, more rainbows ahead. And, and we chased it. But comic books, even though it's kind of a smaller, some would say niche marketplace, it is still uh, a, a needle that moves. And when it moves uh, substantially, the entire world notices. So we try and move, we, we try and merge all these worlds here. And I am so thankful that you are along for the ride. And today I, I think I have a couple of great, incredible stories. One, I, I literally cannot believe, it, put it under the really can't believe I haven't shared this story prior to this, and it was triggered by something that I was watching on television last weekend that I'm going to share with you. But before we roll into all this, uh, generally I, I, I do a lot of different uh, social media plugs and where you can catch me at the end of every episode, and I'm going to start at the top here, two things. There is a uh, signing, CGC, the number one grading company, uh, the, the, the business refers to them, the slang for the graded comics is slabs, as many of you know. You see them up on the wall, the higher uh, back walls of your, cor- your your comic store, of your convention. Uh, the, the, the they're the wall books. Wall books mean they're important. They're more expensive. Uh, this is what the domain of CGC has really you know become. And everyone wants that high score, that high grade with all those signatures. Well, part of the signature series that is going on at CGC now includes my second round. I am dipping my toe into the uh, signing of your books. For a second uh, live in-store, uh, in-house appearance, the CGC headquarters in Florida are, 
are awesome. I had never been there until last year. I spent three days there. We literally signed thousands and thousands of your books. Uh, the great thing is there were people who were hesitant and then they saw people coming back with their slabs quickly. CGC has, has enhanced their staff and, and built out with more um, high-end graders and, and they, they, they have uh, serviced the customer faster than they ever have before. So people got their books in great shape with great grades and, and, and with quick service. And I am headed back there. The deadline, I believe, is later this spring. Go onto the CGC website, look up the Rob Liefeld in-house private signing, and look at the menu of options. There's sketches, there's remarks. Some of this stuff is already sold out. Uh, I think all that's left on the special uh, signatures is the chisels. There's a thing called a blood splatter chisel. Maybe go online, search it. You'll see what it looks like. I may add more of those. They sold out immediately. But get your book signed. Deadpool 3 is a tidal wave that is coming. Some say that it is coming to save the MCU. Certainly, Deadpool himself in the trailer says that he is the Marvel Jesus. The Messiah is almost uh, among us. And I'm telling you, you don't want to look back and go that, that issue of Wolverine and Deadpool. You don't want to have not sent your Wolverine 154, Wolverine 155, your New Mutants 98, your new uh, X-Force 11, your X-Force 1, whatever it is, your Youngblood number one. I got so many Image Comics last time, and trust me, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna want to send in so many of those great Image Comics. Uh, they, they are waiting to receive your submissions and get them all set up for me to go in inside. We video it. We have a great time. They have a great crew. I cannot wait to sign your book. So go to CGC, check that out, and... Uh, and, and, and definitely get, get your submission in quick because slots are filling up quickly. Secondly, there's an app called Whatnot. You can see me uh, blathering into a video screen for a couple hours as I share exclusive variants, exclusive comics. I have a brand new comic out called The Last Blood. The first edition has blown up. I wrote it. I drew it. It's 28 full-color pages. Uh, the extension of my extreme universe, basically the end of my extreme universe. Uh, it's, it's, it's a blast. I had no idea it would be re- received, uh, with, 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 um, as much excitement and, 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 and kind of favor as it has been received. So I just thank you first, foremost, always, but, uh, on whatnot, we have all sorts of exclusive, uh, comic books and variants. I, I did exclusive Spider-Man's, uh, Spider-Man, uh, variants and new mutants and X-Force and Deadpool. And I have profit and brigade and Bloodstrike. all of my Extreme Studios titles, special foils, hall of foils, all, all sorts of crazy great stuff. I draw on Funko Pops, toys. There's some original art. Check me out on whatnot. Download the app. Follow me as, at Rob Liefeld when you, and you'll get a, a notification of when I'm going to go live with my shows. So definitely check out whatnot. Check out CGC. Uh, look for me uh, in, in, the, in the in-house signing on CGC and look for my name and follow me on whatnot so that you do not miss the next show. Many people think it is the same blathering. Uh, that I do here on the podcast, except I've warned everybody. It's later at night. I'm a little grumpier. I'm fresher. I'm kinder. I'm caffeinated as I am uh, speaking into this mic, sharing the show with you today. And today you have got to get ready for this crazy story. This story that I'm about to share with you is triggered 100% by an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that was on this last weekend. Uh, let's call it The Disgruntled. I don't know what the exact name of the episode was, but it should have been The Disgruntled. And it opens... Larry David is part of a golf, uh, you know, golf club, country club, and somebody has pinned up in the men's locker room, and they're all standing around about a dozen guys reading a letter about all the things that they're unhappy with uh, at the club, and it is signed anonymously 
by disgruntled at the end. It's it, it's about the food. It's about the 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 uh, what they can wear. Uh, the the condition of the club. Just all manner of different gripes, and it is signed disgruntled. No one put their name to it. And of course, the guy who runs the place comes in and threatens everybody, and he keeps asking people, "Are you disgruntled? Are you disgruntled?" And so, what happens throughout the episode? We actually get to find out pretty quickly. Again, this just tracks with what I'm going to share with you so closely. We find out fairly quickly who Disgruntled is as we watch the show. But then, of course, you find out who everyone wants Disgruntled to be. And uh, <laughs> it, it was a laugh. It was a hoot. It just played out so closely to this episode that happened in Comoaks and in my life. And if you know, if you happen to know uh, the details and the end result of what I'm about to share here. Just take the ride with me as I tell you from my perspective how it all played out. Because the story that I'm going to share with you that mirrors Disgruntled, at the end of the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, I turn to my wife. We watch every episode together. We howl, we laugh. I said, babe, have I ever told you about Name Withheld? Have we ever discussed Name Withheld? And she's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I go, oh my gosh. I realized I, I had never discussed this with her. This is not something that came up in, in, in this, this, this year. We will have been married 29 years. We've been together for about 31 years, and I've known Joy for 36 years, and this has never been something I shared. So I shared this with her. Then the next day, I called up two of my really good friends in comic books, and I asked them if we've ever discussed it, and they were like, no. So this story takes place in 1991 in the time between the launch of X-Force number one and Youngblood number one. It is right there in that window between 91, 92. And man, I can't believe this. This is so, this is so fun and so rich to share with you. And there is a mysterious letter. I'm going to read to you the entire contents of that letter because that letter is available online. And I'm going to tell you right now, it appeared in what at the time was the number one uh, comic book news publication. It wasn't a magazine. It was a weekly, every week your comic store got new issues of the comics buyer's guide. And it was known to everyone as the CBG comics buyer's guide, the CBG, the new CBG, they would break stories. They certainly broke the story that image comics was forming and that we were all getting together. And it, it, it built the, the story as, 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 as the, the, the original guys announced. And then as more people added on, as Jim Lee came on board, uh, you, you got breaking news. You got uh, interviews with some of your favorite talents. Marvel and DC would you know, run their press releases through Comic Book Buyer's Guide because that was really the only source of weekly uh, you know, news. And it was a great, thick newspaper. It would unfold to be 11 by 17, just like your LA Times, your New York Times, your Washington Post. And, and it had ads and it had you know, comics were for sale. Uh, it was a robust publication. It was run by Don and Maggie Thompson, who I've really never spoken more than just a few words to in, in my career, but I ended up speaking to them in regards to what was going on with this. I just need to set, kind of set, set the table for what was going on. So every week you would go and you would get your CBG because we love news. We want to know what's coming next. We want to know what the cool new superhero book's going to be, what the next event, who's the new hot artist, and an interview whatever, what have you, it was all available to you on a weekly basis prior to Wizard, once a week, on the regular, without fail, the CBG was there with whatever was going on in the comic book world. 
So the entire ordeal that I'm about to share with you originated in the letters column of the Comics Buyer's Guide. Now, the Comics Journal was a, I want to say like eight times a year. They they they, they certainly weren't monthly. And, and as things went by, maybe they went bi-monthly. But the Comics Journal, and I've read so many different Comics Journal interviews with all of you here on Rob's Observations. It has been the source of so much rich material because people don't have that. They don't have those magazines anymore. But I'm, I've got my Frank Miller interviews, the greatest John Byrne interview of all space and time, the crazy Barry Windsor Smith interview that kicked off our season five last, last year where he just goes after everybody. The Comics Journal was where you went when you just wanted to kind of just speak your mind and talk all the shit that you possibly could about your fellow professionals. People just went off. That was the place, right? And I mean, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. It, it was, I guess... At its best, it was the rolling stone of comic books. It's where, you know, your artists would, would feel good about letting down their hair and maybe saying a controversial thing or two. What drove CB, CBG's Comic Book Buyer's Guide's juice level, its, its heat index, was the letters pages. Sometimes people would push agendas in letters pages and it would inspire more and more letters. And you can keep this going every seven days, given a weekly magazine. And Don and Maggie Thompson, uh, when they wanted to run the theater of the drama of the comics world, knew how to do it through the letters column. Well, they got a lot of help this time out with this particular letter. But before I read this letter, and we're going to read this letter, and it is not a, you're going to have to bear with me, and I promise not to editorialize as sometimes I do while I read. I'm just going to read it because I just got to read it and, 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 and get it out there. But it is in direct response to someone named Mike W. Barr, an author and a comic book writer who, whom I had nothing but great experiences with. As a fan, I would wait in line and have him sign my Batman and the Outsiders. Uh, Mike W. Barr wrote all manner of Batman and Batman comics. Batman and the Outsiders was my favorite. It was kind of another answer that DC had to the Teen Titans in the mid-80s, and it introduced a whole bunch of great new characters that I totally dug. And at one point, I mean, the, the two primary artists that he works with are Jim Aparo and Alan Davis. And Alan Davis's work on Outsiders is worth hunting down. It is fantastic. In some ways, I prefer it to anything he did over at Marvel on the X-Men books. Uh, it is fresh. It is bouncy. He came from uh, doing Captain Britain over at Marvel UK and just, just cut loose between his work on Detective Comics and his work on Batman and the Outsiders. And of course, Mike W. Barr. As I said, every time that I encountered him as a fan, when I was 15, 16, 17, I was even speaking to Mike uh, at, at one point about, uh, about making a, a Batman and the Outsiders uh, fan club. That, that's how, how into it I was. And because he was a regular kind of on the, the local LA scene, uh, it, 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 was, it was nice to, to bump into him because he would often... Uh, he would, he would often be on, on the scene at the conventions, uh, during that time. So, I mean, between his Batman work and of course, Camelot 3000, which we have yet to, uh, give a, a dedicated an absolute dedicated, uh, uh, section to, because it was, it was so, oh my gosh, it was so fantastic. It re really kind of state of the art visionary stuff. Uh, just a guy who we were all very much aware of, and I personally had had nothing but great experiences with. The, the body of work outside of, like I said, Camelot 3000, which was this epic sci-fi uh, indulgence, uh, outside of that, 
he was probably most famous for Batman Year Two, which we discussed here not so long ago about Batman with a gun. When when Batman last brandished a firearm, or most famously uh, in the modern comic era, brandished a firearm done by Alan Davis and then Todd McFarlane, who would go on to become Todd McFarlane, uh, went went on to finish that arc when Alan Davis left. She so got, uh, I mean, you you have a story arc which was a follow up, kind of a uh, companion piece to what Frank had done with Dark Knight because and, and Batman Year One. It, it combined both kind of the violent sensibilities and then picked up on the seeds that 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 Frank and David Mazzuchelli had laid down with Batman Year One. Look, DC obviously wanted to continue to capitalize on those sales, on that heat. And Mike W. Barr, Alan Davis, and Todd McFarlane brought you Batman Year Two, Batman with the gun, the holster, all of it. Very exciting, very successful very popular. Mike was a very well-known writer. Mike had written a letter speaking of uh, the fact that he had he believed that writers were entitled to some of the original art, that he in his mind believed that as the writers of the comic, they should be entitled to pages of art being returned to them in the same way that, you know, artists got them returned. And I think when he wrote it, he knew possibly it would be a hot hot button topic, but I need to let you know that that was written and shared in order to understand this letter that lands in the letters column of the Comic Book Buyer's Guide, our weekly comic book publication that so many people, everyone I knew, and, and, and more importantly, everybody in the business, everybody in the business got this. Jim Valentino, myself, uh, guys like Brian Murray, the editors, every editor at Marvel and DC got this. The Jerry Ordways, the Mike Zecks, you better believe, the George Perez's, the John Burns, the Todd McFarlane's, the Rob Liefelds. We were getting Comic Book Buyer's Guide. We were looking at it, perusing it for news. And as I said, it was on our beat. It was the one bringing you the most up-to-date news about everything in our careers and especially as Image Comics was building during this time. So now that I've set this up, let me read to you the actual letter that was published. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this is known as the name withheld letter and for good reason as you'll see the name withheld letter bear with me i'm going to i'm going to do the best that i can as as i read this to you now again fair warning this this is not a short letter so here we go uh it starts with mike you ignorant slut which is a takeoff of uh of what they said on the saturday night live news it was either chevy chase to Jane Curtin, I think it was. Jane, you ignorant slut. So this starts off. Mike, you ignorant slut. Well, there he goes again. Mike W. Barr wrote a similar letter in DC Comic Shop Talk, and I still disagree with it. At DC, until pretty recently, the writer did get the same royalty rates as the penciler, and that is grossly unfair. Considering that most writers write considerably more than a comic book a month, and many do so while holding down a full-time job as an editor, most artists can barely do a comic book in a month. Many aren't that fast. And if they inked their own work as well, there wouldn't be many monthly comics. That's for sure. The inequity in pay that Mike mentions is a joke when the, <clears throat> when the time it takes to produce said work is considered. If I drew a comic book in the time that it takes a real, in quotes, writer like Mike W. Barr to write it, I'd be pretty sorry. Look, it would be a pretty sorry looking comic book to look at. The fact that most artists spend 10 to 12 hours a day, plus most weekends every single month to produce what a writer who labors over his work can produce in under a week shows where the real inequality lies. 
As for the writer being the only one who begins with a blank page, that's most often not the case. A look at any of the many comics out there will show you where the writer's looking at other comic books. As much as artists get belittled for swiping, it's a wonder more writers don't get the same grief. Most of the stories are recycled from previous issues and recent movies. It's been years since I read any real stories that require the writer to do any real research other than thumbing through his collection to find out what the Scorpion did last time so he can simply rewrite the same tired plot again and again. Batman hasn't been a detective in decades. A good punch to the nose has replaced any real investigative work on his part. Is it any wonder that artists are waking up and deciding to do it themselves? Our point is a simple one. We are saying to the Mike W. Bars of the world that we don't need you, and more than that, we don't want you. And we continue. It continues and it says, I overheard an inker moaning because the artist whose work that he'd been inking for years suddenly decided to start inking himself. He didn't see that the penciler may be looking for more creative control or that he's gotten bored just penciling and needed a creative change to give his work more vitality. The inker may even feel snubbed that maybe the penciler might not be that fond of his inking or at least have grown tired of it. He saw it another way. He wants all the money. That's the only way he saw it. Mike may be feeling the same way, as may others. They've be- they're becoming obsolete. What bothers me more, though, is that Mike doesn't consider that maybe the artist-writer has something to say. Maybe he can't create working with a writer who's happy to rehash old stories and bring back that old villain for its 30th bout with the hero. Who knows how many silver surfers, demons, new gods, deathlocks, ambush bugs, cables, shatter stars, ferals, electras, Mr. A's, Ronins, shrapnels, terminuses, alpha flights, and many others aren't being created because artists are being overshadowed by lazy writers. I know that when I'm illustrating a story by most writers, I'll get the same thing that the writer's been churning out for the last 15 years. No surprises. The same thing. Meanwhile, I'm getting better, introducing new characters and concepts and coming up with stuff guys like him can and will rehash for years to come, all the while complaining about guys like me. Mike mentions that he feels he should get some art back, even though he never actually had the physical piece of art in the first place. In the letter in DC's shop talk, Mike says it's unfair that the artist gets back pages to sell and that all the writer gets to keep is his scripts. And there's no market for them. Well, why not? Why can't a writer sell his plots and scripts that were the beginning of the story in the first place? Certainly, the mountains of fans wanting to break into the business could use them as a guide on how to do it. Most writers work on computers and could print out countless copies. Sure, they probably won't sell for the price of original art, although much art, it should be pointed out, doesn't sell. Even from the top guys in the field and the bulk of art out there is fairly undesirable and dirt cheap. They do have the advantage of being able to run off as many copies as they can move. There's something else Mike may not consider. Artists are getting tired of so little so little original thought and writing that they won't work with many of them anymore. Those artists would rather do any other comic book where they can write and draw the work than work with another, in parentheses, real writer any longer. Editors know this, and they also know that a well-drawn comic book with so-so writing will always sell better than a well-written comic book with so-so art, simply because the writer doesn't read it before buying it. He can only look at it. How could Mike possibly control this? If it's a choice between keeping a bad or simply uninspired writer and not having a decent artist stick around, 
or giving the comic book to that same artist and having him stay around and try to pump life into the series. A writer who's good, whom artists and fans support, will always find good, talented guys to work with because they will seek him or her out. There are still many artists who have no desire to write and many who do but would still be more than willing to draw somebody else's stories if they liked their writing. More artists writing won't spell the end of good comics just as it didn't when Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko started doing all of their own scripting. What it may mean is that few, fewer mediocre writers will find themselves with work or decent artists to work with. But then the repetitious, I'm sorry, but then the repetitious, rehashed, reworked hack work of these tired writers is likely to drag this industry down anyway. It's really kind of an eye-opener to walk around the offices at Marvel and DC. Editors are forever griping about how badly other editors write, yet are continuing to give that person plenty of work. Writer artists are getting talked down and up from either side of editors' mouths, and old-time writers are making unreasonable demands and ultimatums on silly things that nobody cares about. In closing, this, this letter has these, these final few sentences. It says, It sure is nice to see more editors who are really trying to work with people to produce a better product and fewer trying to do favors for each other so that they can get more work for themselves in the process. When a kid comes up to me at a show and wants a break as a writer, I always give them the same advice. Learn to draw, kid, or get a job as an editor. Signed, name withheld. Sincerely, name withheld. So this drops in mid-1991. And you can imagine the bomb that goes off. You can absolutely imagine this thing explodes. It everyone's phone burns up because you guess guess what they didn't do they didn't go to social media there were no message boards nobody had a laptop yes jim valentino when he says that most writers are starting to write on computers jim valentino had gotten a computer a word processor he was so proud of it he showed it to me he showed me all the capabilities the saving the the the, the different fonts all the different applications okay um but nobody had the internet nobody even if you did have the computer no internet it is established and really active among fan communities until 1996, to the best of my memory. And that's when everything starts to change. But when this lands, and this lands in this comic book uh, newspaper that everyone buys, people's mouths are on the floor. I mean, to be honest, the contents of this uh, letter can be harsh sometimes. Let's let's be straight. That there there's there's some tough talking here. It, it's it's uh, it's not quite rude. But it is certainly, uh, I would I would say harsh. And as I reread it to my wife, who God bless you, Joy Liefeld, for listening to this stuff, and she was quite fascinated. She even picked up on all the aspects that would lead you to believe that maybe it's possibly me who wrote this, because that's immediately what happened in the comics industry. The like turmoil surrounding this the 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 fervor the the just this upset people it, two things uh, entertain people upset people you, you gotta understand the how dare they's how dare they how dare they you know and the pressure was on who's who his name withheld who had the balls it's an artist it's clearly an artist who's writing who's just started writing it, it, in this list of characters cable shatterstar 
Feral. Very, very interesting. Because that, 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 okay, these are brand new characters. And I mean, Feral and Shatterstar are just a couple months old as of this writing. Again, this, the window for this, you know what? It's, it's, this is fall 1991. This is fall 1991. Uh, in, in that window, could be as late as October, November, but it carries through uh, because the image announcements are coming out. And this is this, this straddles between 91 and 92. And what's happened is Jim Lee, uh, it, it, it is largely reported and seen. And to this day, if you Google it, you go down that rabbit trail. Jim Lee uh, got Chris removed from the X-Men. I showed uh, Louise Simons in the door. Todd McFarlane broke away from David, David Michelini. Eric Larson was uh, now writing and drawing Spider-Man. Uh, away from from again working with Michelini, breaking away from Amazing, and 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 and, and now doing uh, the, the the work for for Todd on Spider Man. Everybody that that has heat in the business who draws is writing, and we are just following the example set forth as this writer points out. I think very 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 uh, poignantly, like the Frank Millers. Frank Millers, the guys who came before us, who who decided we wouldn't have Electro without him. Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, they were the, the the real forebearers of this. But for us, it was the Frank Millers, the Walt Simonsons, the Howard Jenkins, the the John Burns who broke off and started writing their own work. And we, as the audience, because that's what we were before we broke in, we were the audience. Uh, we we thought their stuff was the coolest. It was the best when the artist can visualize the story as well and clear all the hurdles. That, 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 that may be in his way in regards to doing it. Uh, when I did some research and went down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to share some of that with you, uh, people did you know, go, well, Liefeld was, was rewriting Louise Simonson's plots, true, uh, prior to the end. And, there, and, and, and we've talked about the wizard interview where that, that's, just, that's the only point they want to talk about. The only point, not knowing that that's been as common going back to the Silver Age, that an artist would refashion a story and do it with the blessing of the editor in order to get the best out of that particular job issue talent. Uh, but when you go down this rabbit hole, it, it talks about Jim taking Claremont off, Rob, Simonson. Uh, the, the disgruntled uh, response to this by everyone in the writing community was powerful. I think a lot of people in the art, artist community, because remember guys, we truly did put the call out to about 30 guys to join us at Image, and we only ended up with the seven that we launched with because there's some fear. There's, um, there's some trepidation, some hesitation. And, and that was when, when other artists wrote this, people wanted immediately to know it's not me. It's not me, but there was no real way to make this known. But what started happening with me is my phone started blowing up. My editor asked me if I was name withheld. My fellow talents in the business asked me if I was name withheld. Uh, Marat Michaels, who was working, breaking into comics as my assistant at the time, and who was with me in the studio that I had at the time, the, the, the same studio that's portrayed uh, in, in the Levi's ad, that had a killer upstairs loft, and then a downstairs area with a couch and a big dry, giant, uh, it, had, it had the couches and, the, and, the, and, and a giant drafting table I'd obtained. It had the copy machine. We put a giant, uh, you know, uh, 15-foot basketball hoop in there. So so it, it, it had vaulted ceilings. We were hanging out. That's where we would kind of chill out and enjoy the comics and the stuff that we got from the comic store on our 
Friday, because it was Fridays back then, our Friday comic book runs. Comic books weren't coming out on Wednesdays. And so when we got a hold of this, and I read it and I said, Marat, read this. Uh, it was like, who wrote this? Well, just like in the Larry David episode, it was made known very quickly because the person who, who, who wrote it couldn't really keep it to themselves. But in the meantime, uh, as you'll see, if you ever watch this Larry David episode, the amount of people who want and are convinced that the person who wrote the disgruntled ad is Larry David is very obvious. People want to pin it on him. Some people want it as his last right and testament before they boot him out of the club. People, some people need it to be him. Willie Geist from NBC, who's playing himself as a reporter doing a spot on Larry, becomes convinced it's also Larry. But we as the audience already know it's not. Okay, And I'm not going to blow who it is in case you watch that episode, but it's very clear early on. Larry is very clear it's not him. And we, again, find out who really did it. And then it, it leads to some really unexpected, uh, very funny moments. But in real life, uh, the whole world had decided, and let me tell you something, because I was there, they desperately wanted it to be Rob Liefeld, who wrote this letter. Because then it just, it, it, it gave them the validation of the hubris and the ego uh, that, that obviously I must carry with myself because I had been very aggressive in seeking to obtain certain goals in my career. I wanted to write the New Mutants. I, I didn't take the New Mutants without the promise that I would write it. And, and it just, I was told that it would have to take a few, you know, have to take some time. All of us at that time were looking to do more of the writing, more of the, you know, uh, imagining of the entire product. It, it will go down in history. I, I, I do believe at some point in time, because there's been so, so much uh, evidence that Jack Kirby was the one conceiving of those Fantastic Four stories and Stan scripted them. When Jack left, Stan just scripted it. The, the, the New God stuff is genius work. Again, watch when people split. What happened? Jack left Marvel and went on to create seven, eight new worlds for DC Comics. He never looked back. When he comes back to Marvel and he does Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur and Black Panther and uh, Captain America and the Eternals, I mean, it's just more incredible imagination. When, when this letter that's written says that Jack and Steve started scripting their own work, that was the only real aspect of the work that was missing, okay? Um, these guys, Doctor Strange, at no point in time, did anything Stan Lee do reflect Doctor Strange? I'm not, I've done countless episodes on Stan Lee. If you listen to me, you, you know where I stand. I think he had a great way with dialogue and scripting. And I also think he was the best spokesperson comic ever had at a time when comics desperately needed a great spokesperson. He, I, I've, I've called him the Ryan Seacrest of Marvel Comics. He was to Marvel what American Idol, uh, what, what Ryan Seacrest is to American Idol. And look, hosts matter. Look at the, look at the, literally still, it, it feels like they haven't settled on Alex Trebek's replacement on Jeopardy. He was that incredible. And, 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 and no one seems to like anyone who they have sent to fill in his shoes. That's who Stan was. He was the host of Marvel Comics. That was the most important role that he, uh, that, that he exhibited. I have had Jack Kirby look me in the eyes and tell me his version. And I happen to believe him. I happen to believe Stan gave great uh, scripting on top of Jack's stories, but I also believe that that 
given all of the different things that Stan said in the course of his career, there is a lot of holes and there is a lot of uh, inconsistencies. If he was a, a, a witness on the stand, that, that there, are, there are a lot of um, holes in, in the story. I believe Stan scripted over brilliant, visionary writers, and more importantly, those writers needed him to sell that story to you, and he did. But obviously, the contents of this letter are, are again, harsh and inflammatory, especially the way he spoke, speaks to Mike W. Barr, who I told, I, I'm telling you right now, Mike's a nice guy, and clearly the desire for the royalties and the returned art was just, I think, something that triggered this person to write this. If I haven't said this already, what ends up coming out, I think, due to the pressure and because, in my instance, I informed the author behind Name Withheld, this mystery, this mystery, uh, m- mystery letter. Uh, in today's, in, you know what they call it today? If it was MSNBC, they'd say, this is this mean letter, the author of the mean letter, like the mean tweets, the mean letter. Okay. Uh, I had to act. And I told you, I called that the, t- the one time I had an extended talk with Don and Maggie Thompson is when I called them. I called CBG. I left a message. Maggie called me back. I said, Maggie, uh, whatever that is going down with name withheld, I live in Anaheim, California. I'm sorry, Fullerton, California. My office is in Fullerton, California. This is where I work. That letter that you received is not from where I live. It does not have my area code. Uh, It was not forwarded to you. And I most certainly absolutely did not write that letter. And you likely know who did. You likely know the the author of that letter. And more importantly, you know it's not me. And so I would ask that when you are asked that you can now tell people, this is not Rob Liefeld. Because I did a convention appearance during this time, during this kind of window of four to six weeks. It may have been longer. But people were asking me, are you name withheld? Oh, man. And, and people would whisper. And other, you know, I had to be name withheld. I had to be the brash, young, cocky uh, asshole who would write something with this much hubris. Well, for those of you who know the story, eventually the author outed himself. I, I think due to peer pressure and to other artists going, dude, people think it's me. Eric Larson emerged as the author and said, yes, I am name withheld. I wrote that. And uh, I got to be honest, I gave a sigh of relief. And I also experienced the disappointment from the people who, like I said, just wanted, maybe needed it to be me. Needed all of those kind of brash statements to belong to me because they had already decided I was already the worst thing to happen. I was, my, my, my generation was threatening them. They were losing work. Uh, some of these writers uh, would go on to give interviews down the line and talk about the work that they lost and how they were pushed aside. And you kind of, again, sometimes I do wonder if some of the talent are sports fans because the best quarterback, the best wide receiver, the best point guard, the best center gets replaced. You have your run, you have your time, and then eventually someone new comes in. Tom Brady moves out of the spotlight. Patrick Mahomes moves in. While Tom Brady has a spotlight, he's going to battle with the Manning brothers, both both Mannings, okay? Peyton and Eli for his dominance. 
and Eli will do the incredible feat of being the only guy to defeat Tom in, in, in Super Bowls. I mean, that's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But I think sometimes talent doesn't understand that you just don't get a gig forever. Those gigs are always earned. I feel today it's earned. If I don't do a good job giving you last blood, you don't get excited about it and want more of it. If I don't give you a, a good Deadpool batter blood, it doesn't go on to outsell everything Deadpool in that calendar year. Uh, we have to earn our place. And so I like Mike W. Barr. I desperately wanted him to know that it wasn't me. I wasn't able to reach him during this time. I, I probably believe that even he thought it was me. But you just have no idea uh, the stress that came with being the number one suspect. I mean, if this was a dateline, if this was a 48 hours, and Rob Liefeld was cornered. He was cornered. He had begun to ink his own work. He had asserted himself. He had begun to script his own stories. He had begun to create his own characters. Cable, Farrell, Shatterstar, are these the tenants of young Rob Life? I mean, you guys, this would have, all arrows pointed to me. I was the husband. I was the one the cops were coming to, to, to put the cuffs on and go, we're taking name withheld. We're taking you. And they had a screamed at me, your name withheld. You know, admit it. So, uh, yes, I've been watching too many mysteries. Netflix is now, you know, piled on so many of them. Uh, that, that they're all fairly terrifying. But so, so of course, I'm going to put this through that lens. Uh, at the, in the end, it was all shrugged off, moved on, except some people like Peter David, uh, who had it in for us at CBG. Uh, Peter seemed to, I, I want to say one in every four, once a month at least, he wrote a article dragging myself, Todd, Eric, Image Comics, challenging us, thinking that he was the people's champion. I, didn't, I, I have done a dedicated podcast. Uh, on the subject of uh, one Mr. Peter David debating Todd McFarlane. Many of you people, even though it's on YouTube, hadn't heard of this. And maybe you're hearing about name withheld, the name withheld drama that gripped the comic book industry for, I'm going to say two and a half, three months. That's how long it took for Eric to emerge as the author. Uh, so, So this is right before Image Comics, as we're doing Image Comics, if I had to fit the timeline. And yes, I do admit, today, I am not quite sticking the landing. If you want to connect all the dots, but I know the window is right, and more importantly, the subject, it, it is in that emergence. You don't mention Cable and Farrell and Shatterstar, and then Eric uh, mentioned Shrapnel, who he created and gave to Doom Patrol. Uh, you know, and you got to understand, I'm a huge Eric Larson fan. Huge Eric Larson. I had him on the show. First, second season. Had an interview with him here. What? Just, just phenomenal fan. Phenomenal talent. Uh, just nobody has put together the run, a singular run on a comic book like he has. He will eventually hit his, you know, if he hasn't already, I, I, I've, I've lost track. Uh, I think he did, last, last I looked, it was 275 issues of The Dragon that he had written and drawn himself written and drawn not published not gotten somebody else to do it you know produced himself and uh it's it's just an incredible feat his spider-man run is in my in my opinion both the amazing and the 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 uh spider-man book that he followed Todd on they're collected in an omnibus i favor them i think his understanding of spider-man was for me more exciting i know todd's 
was more popular and connected with the masses more and with good reason because it's great. Eric's just had some pop. He just loved drawing Spider-Man, I, I truly believe. Uh, and you can see it in, in, every, in every single frame. But whether it was the Doom Patrol or the issues of the DNA agents he did for Eclipse or whatever, I, was, I followed Eric. Uh, I, I followed him wherever he went. I, I have always just absolutely dug his work. And I believe that w- unless I've got a couple blind spots, le- leaving that I may have some blind spots in my collection, I, I have b- bought every single thing Eric has ever done. So I'm a fan. But Eric was emerging. And this Mike W. Barr, these, these statements about royalties and original art set him off. And Eric wrote this letter. And he didn't sign it. And, and as I said, Peter David would then start, uh, he, I'm going to read you an excerpt from, from the early 2000s where Peter David is still talking about name withheld. In, in 1994, Peter David uh, had a, he, he wrote in his column in CBG called, But I Digress. Uh, he wrote the following and, and he reshared it on his uh, Words and Pictures blog. PeterDavid.net in uh, December of 2010. It starts out, it has been several years since Name Withheld crawled out from under his rock, announced anonymously in the letters pages of CBG called Oso, uh, that writers had outlived their usefulness in comics and artists no no longer had any need for them. And then Name Withheld scuttled back away into the darkness. In more recent time, the artist behind said letter has been a bit more forthcoming about his authorship, although he has yet, to my knowledge, explain his base cowardice in this matter. I don't mention him by name because lately he's been working overtime to provoke me into giving him publicity, apparently on the assumption that Todd McFarlane was able to do, so therefore he should also be entitled to do this. Okay. He then goes on, he says, I only mention him in order to set the stage for the advent for his soulmate. The newcomer is one John Christofelusi, best known as the creator of Ren and Stimpy. And then he goes on and on about uh, Christofelusi's state, statement about writers and how writers without artists are nothing. So, so the creator of Ren and Stimpy kind of comes up behind Eric and 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 says a lot of the stuff that Eric said in his name name withheld letter but but look at the tone and the tenor of that opening and and that the venom crawled out under the rock the cowardice I tell you this right now it would be even worse had they pinned it on me and they were pinning on me I cannot tell you if I told you that 30 40 people asked me who name withheld was again the phones were buzzing up Jim Valentino said everyone literally Jim Valentino Jim Valentino called me in 1991 and said Everyone thinks name withheld is you. And if you want to tell me that this was 1992, that's fine. Again, it is that period between X-Force number one and Youngblood uh, number one. So there's a year there to fit this into. And of all the things that I have, I did not, I I don't have uh, every single week of my comic books buyer's guide. I know some of you do. Uh, Actually, you know what? If I had thought ahead of time, I would have called my buddy Terry Sala. You hear me say his name at the end of each and every episode about our Facebook group that we have on Facebook, which is Rob Life of Marvel Extreme and Beyond. You should join it. You should be a part of it. But Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, Terry 
would know. I think Terry has all his CBGs. He's, he's that rare bird, or he at least has that key 90s stretch. But Jim Valentino said, Rob, everyone thinks name withheld is you. Everyone is pinning this on you. And, and like I said, there was a great deal of vitriol. And look, not only this, did this letter challenge Mike W. Barr and the things that he was saying about royalties and original art, but then this author, Eric Larson, as name withheld, uh, went after the editors who were giving each other jobs. And this was also, whether you like it or not, it was true. Editors that were writing at the time, guys who had offices at Marvel Comics and only one wall would separate them from walking into the other office was, and I kid you not, every single one of these people were writing comics for Marvel while editing comics. I think the rule was you just couldn't write the comics that you were editing. Howard Mackey, editor, also writing. Terry Cavanaugh, editor, also writing. Bob Harris, editor, also writing. Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief, also writing. Uh, I'm leaving out somebody good. Uh, The list goes on and on. And and, and that's that's just the editor-in-chief and three others. Oh, the scripter of New Mutants 98 was an editor also writing there. There's five, just off the top of my head. So this was happening. Now, I'm not going to tell you that those writers didn't turn any good work. Howard Mackey wrote a great ghostwriter that relaunched the entire brand at the same time Then Jim Valentino was reshaping, refashioning, and, and giving you this really popular version of Guardians of the Galaxy that we've talked about on the show that, that I dedicated two episodes in order to kind of turn your gaze towards that work that was becoming forgotten. Howard Mackey wrote some great stuff, also was an editor. Uh, Bob Harris wrote a great Nick, Nick Fury miniseries, also an editor. You know, it's just, whether you liked it or not, they were taking gigs. And there was a segment of not just the artists, but the writer community that was like, I can't get a gig because the editors keep giving jobs to themselves. Whether you liked it or not, there is a piece of that that is true, that is absolutely true. And this wasn't a brand new practice. This was kind of a time-tested practice. When Jim Shooter took over, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, Jerry Conway, to name a few, were what they called writer-editors. And they were able to write and edit the same books. They just changed it. At, at, at the time of this, and, I, and this was really instigated under Roy Thomas at the time at Marvel during their practices, you could edit Fantastic Four, write Fantastic Four. Edit Spider-Man, write Spider-Man. Edit the Hulk, write the Hulk. And so, so this, is, this is not a new practice. It was seemingly becoming more prevalent, prevalent during the time that Eric wrote this letter. So he's going out of his way to kind of kick up some dust in that area as well. While, while poking around looking for kind of historical remnants of name withheld, there, there are scant few, I'm going to tell you right now, scant few articles on this and, and where you find most of the chatter is in some of the comments underneath the sites or the blogs that, that discuss this or, like I said, very thankful that uh, a number of different sites had the entirety of the letter uh, from, from CBG printed. There's a gentleman that has a blog, and uh, his name's Mesitanian. And he is uh, writing back in, I believe, 2013, 
around then when he finds out that the CBG is being canceled and he is uh, feels like he took the newspaper for granted and has all these feelings of remorse as so many of us do when, when a store closes or a comic series ends or some, one of our favorites gets taken from us. Mesitanian writes, because he's going through his CBGs and he keeps getting different blog posts on it. He says, wow, I just read Name Withheld. Three, three, three things stuck out, struck out at me. Stuck out at me. One tripod still exists. And then here's the great part. And I believe this has a different context of what he's about to share with his number two point. And let me read it first. He says, and then number two, Mike, you ignorant slut, probably is the best built-in derail ever. I will start all my meta filter responses with that immediately when I don't want people to read what I write because it's just a winning opening gambit. Uh, he doesn't mention that Eric got that the Jane, you ignorant slut is from Saturday Night Live. It is from, I believe, 1975, year one of Saturday Night Live. This guy doesn't have the context of this. And this speaks to the greater, broader issue that I'm bringing up all over the place, that, that things are being forgotten. My own history that I lived, that I watched, not that I partook in personally, other than watching and observing. But these things are being lost to the sands of time. Stuff that I thought was very um, prominent. And you're going to probably hear it because they're making a movie now. Big star-studded cast has been assembled to make a movie about year one, the original launch year of Saturday Night Live. And I guarantee you, in the trailer, will be Jane, you ignorant slut. But this guy writing this thinks that Eric coined that for the first time because he gives no context other than, is probably the best built-in derail ever. I'm going to start... Uh, it's going to be my go-to and I'm going to use this one. I don't want people to read what I write because it's just such a winning opening gamut. It's just really clever. So these are, again, his final thought on uh, on reading the name withheld letter, letter, which again, he starts with, wow, period. I just read the name withheld letter as he's going through his CBGs. And his third and final point, Eric Larson apparently thought that Shatterstar and Farrell were great characters. And Cable, if memory, if memory serves, my first impression of Shatterstar that he was just a bad, arsed-up, long-shot clone with dual-bladed swords. And Pharaoh was like Wolfbane with all the heart removed. So, uh, it, it's, you know, punching down, punch landed, pun, not, not landed, but punch accepted. But it's it's just it's just funny that that stuff st- stood out to this person that Eric Larson would itemize on a list of characters that we would we would be without Shatterstar, Farrell, and of course Cable. And again, given that this is 2013, it, it Cable had uh, in uh, Cable had in many instances begun to fall off of his perch that he had been on at the top. When I created him, and in the years following, about a decade, Cable had all the juice until he didn't, and that speaks to character management, which we can get in some other time. He then uh, ends with saying, Larson's name withheld letter is correct in a very narrow sense, in that while the arc is swung back towards writers in mainstream comics, again, this is at, during 2013, 
Most of the favorable non-genre attention is towards writer-artists such as Dan Close, Chris Ware, etc. He goes, but Eric Larson, of course, is not on that list. Savage Dragon has its diehard fans, but it's not much to show for two decades of complete creative freedom. So, again, uh, a couple of punch downs, but that, that, but 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 people reading the name withheld letter and and reacting, uh, you know, in 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 this uh, in this way, years, you know. Years later, Peter David writes again about the the name withheld letter in 2005. I won't read it to you, but I'll just say the the, the start of it is, Eric, you ignorant slut. And he said, uh, he talks about that Eric Larson has a brand new diatribe, angrily scolding creators who merely work on co- uh, company-owned characters. And then uh, he says... Eric Larson's previous columns take swipes at me. Uh, over the 10 years since Image broke away to follow their own muse, their own dream, to no longer hold back, I wrote a column which had something of a tone to it. Except my attitude was that I was unimpressed by the notion that free to the shackles of the main comics, uh, of the main comic companies, all Image was going to do was produce more superheroes. And that diatribe just continues. Uh, as I told you, we were kind of uh, Peter's favorite topic uh i i don't have a personal beef with peter he never uh was uh i think he would tell you who he was not the biggest fan of mine he liberally took swipes and and uh you know took his shots in my direction but i i just it was mostly melt with met, met with shrugs uh, from from my direction but he constantly uh brings up the you know Name withheld again and again and again. The, the <laughs> I keep going backwards because we did the 2013, the 2010, the 2005, and now uh, the 2004, where where, where Peter David, we're, we just keep going back. He actually, uh, he takes a shot at an interview with an artist named Randy Kingman, who, this is from a panel at Randy's, uh, appearance at Rothcon in New Jersey, September 21 through 22nd, back in 2004. And his name's Randy Kingman. And in the context of this, Randy also takes shots at writers. And uh, Peter uh, writes this on his blog, peterdavid.net. And he says, the Kingman name withheld transcript. And he has Kingman's name crossed out in the titles purposely. So it just says the name withheld transcripts. And he he is deliberately basically implying that maybe this guy should have followed name withheld and and not assigned his name because he goes viciously in on uh on writers. Well, one uh, one thing that Randy says here uh is oh I mean he's yeah, I can't read some of this stuff. It gets really uh really really Nasty. I, 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 the, 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 the thing that I'll say that, and I'm not even familiar with this work, but I'm reading to, this to you to get to the comments because in the comments is where there's some really, uh, s- s- some resonance from, from name withheld that I want to wrap up with. But when this Kingman guy is being interviewed on stage at this convention, the guy, the interviewer says, what writers have influenced your work? Randy says, well, writing is nothing special. 
Anyone can write. Why would a writer influence me? It is the art that's important. And the interviewer says, or the moderator of the panel says, but, and Randy says, after all, you know what one, that one picture is worth a thousand words, don't you? And then he says, but you should have some understanding of what writers have done. He goes, what's one? And he, uh, he gets very combative from there. Well, down below, people weigh in on the fact that, P- that, that Peter David basically implied this guy should be uh, named withheld. And he goes, hey, the first person that comments in 2004 says, I forget who was named withheld, Todd McFarlane or Rob Liefeld. Okay, so there you go. Uh, he then, uh, then somebody says, uh, actually, if I remember correctly, name withheld was turned out to be Eric Larson. There was ba- various bits of evidence pointing in his direction all along. Another person said, I think, I think that name withheld was Todd McFarlane. Uh, he and Peter David worked together and they had a feud. Uh, another guy says, definitely it was Eric Larson. It was an open secret for a long time, but Eric Larson officially confirmed in some form of another about six months after Name Withheld had started one of the biggest, messiest, ugliest comic debates of the decade. Ah, those were the days, writes uh, a poster just named as Brian in October 27th, 2004. Uh, Another guy says, uh, well, I'm just glad it wasn't Steve Rude. I actually think it was Todd McFarlane. Another guy weighs in. See? Um, then another one named Greg on the same comment says, I guess it was, I guess it could be, he says, I guess it could be Eric Larson, but it sure as heck sounded like Todd McFarlane. That's the only title I can think of where it was created specifically for Todd to write and draw. And he was the king of pinup pages selling a bazillion copies. He said, uh, man, name withheld made me mad because I write. And I know there's people actually out there who care about the writing in comics. I was, it was also upsetting me because I'm a Liefeld fan. It's a disease. I'm taking medication for it. So this guy thought it was me. Uh, another one named Jonathan says, uh, again, he believed it to be Todd McFarlane. Another one named Doug says, I, I guess it was Eric Larson. The name withheld who wrote the letter that kicked all this off was Eric Larson. He's responding to the guy that says, I suppose it was Eric Larson. He says, the column itself is more is a more general treatment of the artist who thought they could write of the time, including Todd McFarlane. Uh, this predates the founding of Image, though, but just barely. Uh, Liefeld was a possible intended target. In retrospect, pretty obvious that name withheld was Larson. Who else would have put shrapnel on a List of great creator, uh, artist created characters. Uh, then someone sells, said, I mean, again, look at, look at that, look at this. That this guy named Matt Adler says, name withheld one is a, was an amalgam of the image guys. This part almost also almost refers to the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont situation, uh, talking about the disregard, di- disregarding writers. And then, uh, as we go further, uh, you know, did Jim Lee actually write this? Uh, so somebody, somebody asks, and then, then it turns into Jim Lee was given deference over Claremont. 
Claremont left. And what is possibly less known, Luigi says, Rob Liefeld was rewriting Louis Simonson's X-Force plots. He would turn in pages out of sequence to hide this fact, making it more difficult to script. Uh, As for a name withheld, it was definitely Eric Larson, and he admitted it in the issue of Savage Dragon. So, for quite some time, like I said, name withheld rattled the industry. And my thoughts, should Eric have have signed his name? Yes. Uh, But also, it was fun. It was fun being the intended target. It was fun having to explain to people, it wasn't me. But I felt like I did my due diligence and I was responsible in the matter when I called up Maggie Thompson. She called me back and I said, you know that it wasn't me. You know that that letter did not originate from me. Uh, If you are asked, please confirm. You know, right before I came on here, the actress Rebecca Ferguson, you may have known her from Mission Impossible. She is uh, uh, Paul Atreides' mother in the Dune movies. And I've I've seen Dune 2. It's spectacular. It it is mind-bogglingly brilliant. Uh, the, the 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 visuals alone don't 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 start because I know Denny took his own shots at writing and dialogue uh, as he was promoting Dune this week. I mean, I think this argument is never going away. But on the press circuit, Rebecca Ferguson has done her own name withheld. It has everybody guessing the last forty eight hours who yelled at Rebecca Ferguson because she said an actor, an A list actor that she was sharing the screen with, yelled at her, made her cry, uh, bel- belated her. Uh, b- b- excuse me, berated her, berated her to the point that she said, I won't share a stage with him again. Uh, I can act to a tennis ball, but I will not. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. He's the number one guy on the call sheet. You have to. But uh, The Rock came out immediately. People thought it was him when they worked together on Hercules. He said, this was not me. I hats off to Rebecca. Let's find out who this is. Uh, Other people are coming forward. Other women are coming forward. Uh, And, and, uh, and, and confirming, look, I, I know I, I shared uh, a camera with with uh, with Rebecca Ferguson. Emily Blunt came out this morning before I got on the fo- on this microphone to make sure that you didn't think it was her. People are going out of their way. Rebecca Ferguson cleared Tom Cruise and Hugh Jackman said it was neither of those gentlemen. And so the specu- and and then The Rock has boldly said it wasn't me. Let's find this guy. You know Emily Blunt. So so now people have narrowed. They've narrowed. I won't say the the the, the three actors that they're speaking of, but. Again, it is it is between the disgruntled episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and the Rebecca Ferguson like mystery who yelled at me. I won't I won't name it that that person. I'll describe the situation. I'll give you enough clues that you can go on IMDb and you can start figuring it out. That's what name withheld was. It rocked an industry. It was the talk of the town. Who was this arrogant asshole to write this and didn't have uh either the boldness, the bravery, or the, 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 the good sense to actually sign their name. Look, part of me is glad he didn't sign the name, even though I was an intended target. And as you can see through these comments that I'm sharing with you from 2004, I mean, literally 13 years later, people are like, it was Liefeld, it was McFarlane, and it was Eric, Eric, Eric fessed up to it a number of times. Uh, and we knew because Eric told all of us over the phone, in person, it was me. Uh, Name withheld. If you've never heard it and you've never uh, read that letter, there's a lot. There's 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 a lot going on in that letter. The most, I think, truthful thing is when he says, "Good writers will always attract great talent." Alan Moore, in his prime, did not have a problem attracting great talent. I have long shared with you that some of my favorite creators in comics did 
were in fact artist writers. Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, Frank Miller, uh, Howard Chaikin, Walt Simonson, the list goes on and on and on. But there are great writers. And, 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 and uh, I already told you, Mike W. Barr, I, I enjoyed every single thing that he uh, ever put forth on in terms of comic books and the talent that he worked with was, was great. Jim Apero, Alan Davis, uh, Jerry Bingham, Todd McFarlane, just four amazing artists right there off the bat. And, uh, and, but Eric is also right. Uh, you can write a good story in three days. You can, I, I didn't say an hour a day. So three hours, I said three days, I, I, 72 hours, 48 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours. Some guys, some of you are good enough. You can write a screenplay in 30 hours. I've, I've heard of it. I've seen it. The, the one that I read was good. The writer-artist debate, there's no mystery as to why it kind of fueled the 90s and why the writers were um, grabbing any life raft re- equaling any decent artist to sidle up against because they felt that their terrain was being threatened. So hopefully today was a great capsule. Name withheld uh, was, a, was a fun mystery. Disgruntled on Kirby Enthusiasm brought, brought it all back. To my memory and then when not only my wife and then my two friends in comics for the last three decades did not know who name withheld was i knew right then and right there that this had to be a topic on Rob's observations i hope that you have enjoyed this excursion into this uh, let's call it the last uh non-internet controversy because those would come uh the last non-internet controversy because once the internet gets here you get you get uh marvel's bankruptcy you get heroes reborn you, you get the movies, um, all, all sorts of stuff. The internet is quick, uh, or especially in the early days, even when it was just message boards to persecute, to crucify, to, uh, to, to hunt. Uh, but at this point, this was really a game of telephone and the, the shade that you were thrown in person at a comic store, at a comic convention, on a telephone call. Eric, to the best of my knowledge, carried no ramifications for this he was able to speak once he identified that he was uh name withheld nothing happened he already controlled his own destiny i i don't believe uh i i believe whatever i was going to suffer i was going to suffer because everyone wanted it to be me that's not me being a persecuted little ninny that is telling you straight up people were disappointed that name withheld wasn't me they wanted very desperately to to be able to pin that on my resume have that frame who I was. So uh great stories. I I I feel like I covered the most of it and and I and I truly hope if you can find more, maybe you actually have your actual CBG, maybe you have uh the 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 further printed topics on this, but it became uh, it became a storm that a uh, or as they're calling it now when when mild rain felt it I mean we didn't have but sprinkles this morning in Southern California and the weather persons we're calling it another atmospheric river. Give me a break. I have lived here. I mentioned this in the, in the last one. We get people calling us. Atmospheric river. Are you okay? You're having them. It's rain. It's rain. I've had, this is the same rain that I played in when I was four. And mudslides were happening because California has lots of cliffs and, and, and expensive mansions on top of, on, on top of uh, great cliffs with incredible vistas. And they are prone to erode when the rain hits the mud and the mud, you know, this is, this has been going on. It rains in Southern California from November through April. My mom used to say, remember Robbie, 
when, uh, when I'd be so glum that it was so gray in March and I was desperate for the sun. I wanted to get my spring, you know, spring, spring fever action on. Even in my like 13, 14, I wanted to go to the beach with my friends. She'd say, remember Robbie, March, you know, roars in like a lion, goes out like a lamb and April showers bring May flowers. Got all the mom shanks. Maybe your mom said that to me. Let's do it again. March roars in like a lion, out like a lamb. April showers bring May flowers. What are we even listening to? What pool of mom memories have I dove into? But you know you heard that. You know you did. You heard a version of that. But now people go, are the atmospheric rivers? Are they okay? Are you going to be? Yes, it's raining. That's all. Um, Heroes Reborn. uh, Not Heroes Reborn. (laughs) Name withheld was the atmospheric river of its time. It felt bigger than it was, but it ended up ended up just being a sprinkle. But man, did, did Peter David like name withheld? He he. I think we've proven uh, he has gone back to that well many many a time, and we did today. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I thank you so very much for taking this ride with me each and every week. So hey, uh, at the end of each and every show, we share the incredible support that you give the show it, it, it cannot go uncelebrated unnoticed you are such great fans of this show you are such supporters uh it, it, it is uh just a tremendous honor that you have shown up and support this show in in the manner that that you have uh have supported i am so grateful to you always for the 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 positive vibes and energy and and the sharing that that you that you do about Rob's observations. And so at the end of each and every show, I read the reviews that you have shared with me right here. Today's review is really sweet and kind, and it's from Mr. Castile. He says, my fave podcast, five stars. I love Rob's observations. Rob's an enthusiastic, knowledgeable host, lays down his knowledge of the comic book industry, not just about the time that he spent in the business, in the industry, not just about the time that he spent in the industry, but also what he brings to the history and the obscure comics to life. As I have been a comic fan and able to fully fund my comic habit since the early 90s, right at the time that Rob and company left Marvel to form Image, these podcasts are occasionally a blissful trip down memory lane, more often an insight into issues and artists I am not familiar with, but need to be. Rob is a great guy, loves his fans, and it shows. Give him a chance. He will inspire you and rekindle your love of comics. Thank you, Mr. Castile, C-A-S-T-E-E-L. Thank you for leaving that. Thank you for sharing that very generous uh, review. Thank you for your support. When you guys leave reviews for me at the end of each and every episode, I will read them. The Apple platform is the one where we get the 90% of our reviews from, and you guys are so generous, giving us five stars writing these reviews, taking your time to pull out your keyboard, to, to type that up, to send it, to post it. Uh, I read them at the end of each and every episode. Thank you. It helps us stand out. I have been told by Apple, by the people at Apple, it helps elevate us uh, in, in terms of our profile, our our, uh, our awareness. And I just thank you because you do this. You do this. Uh, I couldn't do it without you. I am so thankful to share these at the end of each and every episode. Thank you for your support. When I'm not doing this podcast, I'm on social media. Look for me on the platform formerly known as Twitter X. 
Uh, I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, straight shot, no break in that, Robert Liefeld, blue check, signifying it really is me, I'm verified, I'm real, uh, I, I, I love reading your comments, your DMs, your replies, I love the conversations that we're able to have over on the platform formerly known as Twitter on X, look for me at Rob Life, Robert, at Robert Liefeld, I will be looking for you on Instagram. I do posts, I do stories, uh, I'm sharing the visual aspects of my life, what I'm drawing, people I, I, I'm hanging out with, my friends, my family, the, the, the stuff I'm working on, uh, and more importantly, the stuff I'm eating, the restaurants, the fun, when I go on vacations, I would love for you to uh, continue to follow and share with me. Uh, I am Rob Liefeld, got Rob Liefeld straight shot, another blue check, verifying that I am uh, absolutely who I claim to be. I'm real, not, not the phonies. So when you uh, talk to me, send me your DMs, your replies, your mentions. I read them all. I try and respond to each and every one of them. Thank you for following me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld with the blue check. Again, verified. I just appreciate you all so much. I mentioned earlier, we have a group. It's over on Facebook. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It's a group on Facebook, a group, not a page. Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Myself and a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. We run the, 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 the group. We run the group. We are the moderators, the administrators. You will likely be uh, clicked on through once you submit by either myself or Mr. Terry Sala. Terry runs a great art contest once a week. We vote on it. It's compiled by votes. That's how we, we get the winners and then they choose the next subject. It's, it's a blast. We have so many great in-depth conversations. I am previewing all manner of news and uh, art and, and stuff that I'm working on. I try and, I try and give sneak pr- previews in that group. So we invite you to join. We welcome you. The positive vibes are great. We have no time for negativity and complaining and whining. We just keep the 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 uh, the vibes good. And and so many of the topics that we discuss here on observations are continued there in more long form, more in depth discussions. So we'd love to have you, Robert. Sorry, Rob Liefeld. Marvel Extreme and Beyond is a Facebook group. I already covered whatnot. I'm Rob Liefeld and whatnot. Download it. Follow me. I told you about my CGC in-house signing. Go to their website. Look me up. Uh, check out the options that are available. Cannot wait to sign your books. And as we wrap it all up, I just want to wish for you the, the very best, as I do each and every time. I mean it. I, I don't. I want everyone to do well. I want everybody to do well. I, I, I wouldn't wish uh, any amount of suffering on anyone. Uh, you know, life's hard enough. Again, I, I've. Been, been married 29 years this summer, been with my wife 31 plus years, raised three adult kids, uh, wear a lot of hats, which means carrying a lot of burdens. Uh, so many of the stuff and the things that you guys do, I'm doing too. You know, uh, going through life uh, post-pandemic, what a crazy time. Uh, feels like the grind is still there. Feels like it's still kind of wearing all of us down and uh, the, the, the noise, the, 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 all the crap that's going on especially in an election year, is just nuts. It's crazy. And I just want to make sure that your emotional, physical, spiritual, uh, and, and mental state are, are in the very best possible place they can be. My encouragement to you always is to take a step back, get off the treadmill, get off the grind, take a day for yourself, go out, have a great time with your wife, your kids, your, your loved one, enjoy uh, you know, a great movie, a great dinner, uh, whatever, whatever constitutes a great date night, go to a club, the, the, the comedy club, they're popping up all over the place. Go, go laugh, uh, eat a great meal. You, you guys know I, I, I love food. 
And also, do not forget the candy, the candy bars. My wife brought home like M&Ms the other day. I'm like, what are you doing? Are you trying to, are you trying to like, like tread on, on the ground that, that, that Reese's has so carefully laid here in this house? Uh, you guys, I, have, I, I still have my three-pound Reese's peanut butter cup. I don't, I don't know how, I, it's now just kind of a monument. I don't know how I'm going to ever get through it. But now the, Valent- the, the Valentines are gone and now the Easter eggs are here. So we are happy with our chocolate and our peanut butter, whatever it is. Maybe it's an ice cream cone, a sundae. Uh, we have competitive ice cream shops popping up all over. New, competitive, some mom and pop shops, uh, which I root for, we root for and try and frequent those the most. But come on, man. There is business in the sugar and the grease, and it's, it's part of your, your cheat meal, your cheat experience that I am absolutely in favor of and, and, uh, and, and promoting. And just make sure you read a great comic book, see a good movie, uh, have some great experience alongside of it. That is my wish for you. Yes, Rob is recommending junk food and, and childish indulgences to distract you from the madness of life. There, that's it. I should just say that from now on because that's it. Hey, rooting for you, boom, right through this uh, microphone. I am, I am uh, sending you the best, giving you a fist bump. Take care of yourself. Be well. Please don't leave me here. Come back around. I'll be here. I'll be sitting here waiting. We will. What, what is it again? We will most. No, no. We will. Uh, we will. Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. We will most definitely. and. The big, the big one, inevitably, inevitably talk again real soon.